All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey Productions. We are here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Andrew. So our guest today, before you give the intro, we've waited uh, um, um, quite a bit of time to get this guy on based on uh, what you listeners are going to hear. This guy has got such a great journey. Not even done yet. Right. We'll talk about where he is and where he's going. But uh, this guy is like the hockey journeyman, and, and he could definitely write a book about it. Give us the intro, Andrew. Yeah, so we're excited to have with us today Rory Rollick. So Rory was very busy as a teenager in his junior hockey days, pl- uh, playing mostly in the WHL and a stint in the AJHL, and played for various clubs during that time. And then eventually Rory went on to sign his first pro contract in the ECHL, and even made several appearances with the Hartford Wolfpack uh, after being promoted to the AHL in 2003-2004. From there, Roy played all over the world, including the EHL, or ECHL, AHL, Sweden, Germany, and more. And he eventually even won the EHL, EIHL Conference Championships with the Dundee Stars in 2014. Roy continued to play up until 2019 and is still playing and coaching and doing things today, which we're going to get to here pretty soon. So we're excited to have with us Roy Rollick. Roy, how are you doing today, yeah, man? Welcome. Good, guys. Thanks for having me. So I just want to start off here before we hit your career. Uh, we talked off air. Um, you should write a book, uh, the history of the 21st century thus far, and uh, do it through uh, your your hockey. So I, I just want to set the stage for our listeners that might not be familiar with you. Uh, you played like 15 plus years. Uh, you're 6'3". You were about 190, 195. Uh, a big guy, defenseman. Uh, you at September 11th, uh, just before the Twin Towers are hit, you enter the New York Rangers training camp, and that happens. Uh, recently, you were kind of stuck in China and Beijing when the pandemic hit. It, it's I have a friend that uh, we joke because every major event that happens in history, he claims that he was there. You know, and uh, but this is you. Everywhere you go, it's like some major thing happens and you have to like live through it and it's all through hockey. So um, I don't know if you want to pick a story before we hit your career. You could talk about the pandemic. You could talk about the craziness of uh, going to the New York Rangers training camp and it was actually 9-11. Take it away, Rory. Hey, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, I don't know if it's a good thing that the bad luck's following, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, to start like the New York one, um, I, I finished playing in, uh, in Camrose. Uh, we just won national championship there. And then, uh, I signed, uh, I went to New York. Um, I went to Kitchener for rookie camp actually. And, uh, my birthday, September 9th. So on my birthday, my 18th birthday, um, they, uh, invited me to New York for main camp. Um, so we flew to New York on the 10th and then obviously 9-11 happened the next morning. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, I could go on for hours about that whole, whole situation, but I mean, the fact that they were, I mean, we were supposed to have fitness testing in the hotel that got destroyed. So, I mean, we would all been wiped out. So, I mean, the fact that that part was obviously the biggest part, but again, I was just a young guy and, uh, you kind of had no idea what was going on. Like the social media, we didn't have like, like now, you know, so there was no access to finding stuff. And, um, I landed up signing, uh, you know, 
five-year contract, uh, three-year pro, two-year junior out of that training camp. So uh, it was, it was like so many good things happening. And so you, you, I mean, you didn't know kind of the level of the severity of, of what actually was happening. Cause like I said, no one knew, right. There was a building on smoking like that. That's kind of what it is. There wasn't, you know, now in, in two seconds, you would have videos and, and whatever. So, I mean, that whole situation was, was crazy. Um, I mean, the, the, the pandemic thing in, in China, uh, I think, I think the fact that you were in China maybe made it easier because it was such a different place to begin with. I mean, you, you already felt like you were in survival mode to a certain degree. Um, I, I, I remember flying there. That was, that was kind of the first time I think I had like anxiety going somewhere. And I, I remember the plane like took off and I was in the air and I was like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to China. Like, you know, you, you got a long way to go. And then once I landed, I kind of felt better, but, um, yeah, I mean, I went to the rink that day. I was supposed to coach and nobody was there. And this woman, she actually, uh, she was a really nice woman. She spoke good English. She was like raised in Australia. So she helped me a lot with the communication and, um, she was there and she's like, Oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, I didn't, I, I didn't know anything. Right. You don't know the news. And so apparently she's like, Oh, there's some virus. So kind of no, nobody even knew what was going on or how to kind of respond. Right. It was so new. And, um, I wasn't too concerned about it. There was about one week where I was like, Oh no, what if the whole world gets wiped out, you know, cause you're there and, um, you're seeing the hazmat suit people walking the streets and spraying. Like I was living in that, like I was going through, I had to get my face scanned when I was going to my apartment building. Like I got, I didn't have my passport one time. I got locked out of my place for like eight hours, like just so much, so much crazy stuff. Like every day was just, you, you never knew what was going to happen. Um, and I mean, that's been a lot of my career. Uh, you know, luckily you always have like teammates, kind of you have a family with you. So you, you know, you're kind of, you're going through that, all that craziness together. You kind of have people to lean on, but at the same time, I mean, a lot of those places I played were for imports or something. They were off doing their own thing and I'm living in some village and, you know, we didn't have iPhones back then. It sounds funny even saying that, like making myself sound old. But I, I remember going to Europe, you know, like saying goodbye to my parents at the airport. It's like, okay, I'll call you collect when I can. So, so, so I read a story from the CBC uh, for the Americans. That's a Canadian uh, major outlet. And when you're in China going through this, you're locked in for like two months no one's allowed in or out. Of course, the paycheck stopped for you. And you're in like, uh, you know, Discovery Channel survival mode. You, you got like hardly any electricity, no hot water. You take, you know, you're, you're like, you talk about bad locker rooms. You're taking a shower with like with a bag or something. Just yeah. to survive. Yeah. But why? Why yeah. was it shut down like that? Yeah, I mean, I, like you, you were allowed out. That's the thing. 
you you could but like nothing was open and so it was like you're wandering these streets of like it it just looked like the end of the world you know um but yeah it was it was so what happened you need this card or whatever and you pay for the card to get your power on the card and the people that had my card for my apartment um, because the pandemic, everything shut down. So my card to get like power was locked in this building, but they were too scared to like tell me. So no one would, no, no, nobody would like tell me what was going on. And I'm like, you, you know, it's, you can't just call somebody. You can't call the power company. And so I had no idea what was going on. And um, so, yeah, I just had, and it was, it was winter there. It was freezing. I had this cat that I rescued from the gym. So it was just me and my cat and uh, like, yeah, just like bundled up and I would, I would boil water and then put it in a plastic bag and like poke holes in it, like shower. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was crazy. And then I actually, I actually came to Thailand for like eight days with a couple guys um, because they didn't really like clue into what was going on yet here. Yeah. So we're like, yeah, we're going to get out of China. And I actually would have stayed for probably like a month, but I had this, I had this stupid cat. So I had to go back and take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't forget the rescue cat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, so cute. yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. But again, you know, like I told you guys, you know, before, but about the story here, but you know, I, I just kind of that hard nose, like how we grew up. I mean, not everyone, like not everyone can do this. Most people can't, most people say they will, but they actually won't. Um, but it, it's, it's tough. Right. But I mean, a lot of the hockey stuff kind of geared you up for it at a young age, traveling and, and doing stuff like that. And I, I was always a comfortable person just, you know, speaking to people or, or being put in, in new surroundings right like even when i come to china like i you just show up at the airport and there's someone standing there you're like hey how you just go with them you're just going with a stranger all the time so you, you just kind of deal with it well let's get into the career andrew well speaking of you know what you were just talking about how uh, certain people can do what you did and and actually live it but you have been doing that since the start. I mean, you had played for several teams in the WHL at the time, but I got to say as, as a young teenager, I imagine, you know, you're probably still going to school, doing work, trying to balance out a social life. What was that like going to different teams all the time? How, I assume having to move different billet families and stuff. What was that like when you were younger? And do you think all those moves back then kind of prepared you to move and live other places now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, kind of like what I was, what I touched on earlier, how I was just like, like I, I wasn't going into, I mean, looking back, everyone had that dream, right? Like you want to make the NHL and you didn't know how you were going to do it. You didn't know how to do it, but you just kind of played, you just kind of did your thing. Right. And so my whole career, like I just kind of came up and I mean, I remember like not making a Bantam double A team and, coach like you're not good enough and you're just like who's this guy you know what I mean like you're looking at these guys like like I looked at it like okay you're the coach you can't even skate 
and you're telling me because you're young, you know, it wasn't to be like rude or it like, but that was like in my brain. That was kind of my fuel, right? Because you know, I I I worked for you know, like like now I'm you know my later I've I'm six five. You know, it's two twenty later on when you know you're a big guy. Obviously, your size helps, especially back in the day. But you know, I my path wasn't just like got drafted into the WHL, got drafted into the NHL and just kind of, you know, it was, it was just like making teams and going places. And if you weren't needed somewhere, you didn't make it, you went somewhere else. It wasn't like, and and then later on in my career too, it was just like, well, I'm going to use hockey to go like to see the world. I'm not going to just stay in one place. But the, the problem is a lot of people look at that as like, Oh, you're a bad guy or something because you're on so many teams or something. You know what I mean? So like that can hurt you too, right? Because every like people look at that stuff differently. But you know, in your mind, I I wasn't looking at like, okay, I I don't want to come back here. But if you don't ask me, like that's cool. I'll just go to another country, check it out. Right. It was kind of that mindset, right? And so. Like when I went to, when I went to the WHL, I mean, I was playing, uh, I was in Camrose in junior A at a camp and a scout was there and he just came up and asked me like, Hey, do you want to come to Medicine Hat? And one of my best friends at the time, uh, Chris St. Jock, he was, he was playing in Medicine Hat and he was like the only kid that made it. So it was like a huge thing. We were buddies like, Oh man, I got to go to this camp. You're playing for the team. This is unreal. Like we dreamed of this. We've been talking about this forever. And so I just went to camp and just made it like all of a sudden, you know, you, you have a few newspaper interviews, you're a kid, you know, like, Oh, who's this guy? You know, you start seeing your name and you're like, wow. Like it, it, it all just kind of happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, like I said, it's easy to look back now and, oh, I should have said this or not said this or acted this or did the blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, like, you don't realize how much you actually were doing. You know, because, again, it's it's easy to sit back and beat yourself up for things you didn't do. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to give yourself credit for kind of all the stuff that you did do. And that's that's kind of what, like, and you know, my last year I got traded to Red Deer and that was like the greatest thing that happened to me. Like that was, I, any, any, any interview, anything I talked about hockey, like that's the number one, like playing for Sutter that year was, was unbelievable. I mean, I was, like I said, the WHL was just like, I was in the WHL, but it didn't have like much meaning to me. Like I won it. I won a national championship the year before in Camrose that was like the greatest thing in the world. That was like winning the Stanley cup, signed a contract. Like you were kind of on top of the world at that age. And so the WHL, yeah, this is cool. This is, but it, it wasn't until like, uh, I remember I came off the ice one practice and uh, a scout actually was standing there. I remember he had the, I think it was Dallas or Nashville. And he came up to me and he was like, Hey Rory, uh, like, you're not playing that much. What's going on here? And blah, blah, blah. It's your draft year. And I, that was like the first time I'm like, oh, I'm playing hockey for a reason. This is how you make it to the next step. Like, I didn't even like think about it. Like I said, I was just like playing hockey, you know? And I'm like, how stupid was I? But it's like, 
you didn't have people telling you, you know, like, Hey, embrace this. Hey, slow down. Hey, do this or think of this. You know, it was just kind of, you were just caught up in it and reacting. And, um, and then I went to red, like I said, I, I mean, never played in the playoffs was always on like the worst team. And then all of a sudden went to red deer and was like a, you know, a huge part of, of the team. And the guys were amazing. Like, the, the, my teammates were so good they were so professional at that age because of Sutter like it was just like it felt like you just went to the NHL as a kid you know and we went to the like we went to the final lost to Kelowna you know Duncan Keith all like Shea Weber like such good team you know but we we went we went toe-to-toe with that team all year and you know one one win away from going to the Memorial Cup after winning the national too like that would have been such a big thing but aside from that it was just like like that year just like I mean you you could not want to play hockey after that season it was just such a fire and and I always think back to that you know if I would have finished and maybe in a team that didn't make the playoffs again you know you go three years in the dub no playoffs like your mind isn't even thinking about winning or what hockey is and going to Red Deer, like, kind of completely changed that for me. So, uh, you know, that, that, was a, that was a huge part of kind of – I mean, obviously, Camrose was the number one, but being able to, to finish – being able to finish at that age with that experience um, was huge for me. So bring us through um, your first pro signing. And we love to ask us about uh, – uh, about our guests. So bring us through, well, two questions, bring us through the whole process of you finally making it as a pro, you sign your contract. And then also the first time that you are playing or uh, in a training camp, whatever, you're, you're playing with grown men now, who are supporting families. Uh, what was that transition like for you from juniors? So two questions really. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, signing my, signing my, I, I, again, it was just like, like I said, just going based on how the rest of my career was. I remember, um, like that year in New York, I was just playing out of my mind. Like, you know, you came from junior and now you're like, Brian Leach was my D partner at camp. I'm playing with Messier and yacht, like you know, the greatest players in the world in New York. And so you're just, like I said, I, like you looking back, you don't even know how you kind of probably pulled it off or, or even kept up, but you're just so in that moment. Right. And, uh, I remember, I remember I was just like standing in the practice rink, the old, old one and Rye and say, they're just kind of, I got called in his office and he sat me down on a chair and like I said, I just turned 18, probably like eight days ago, eight days ago. And here's Glenn Sather, you know, you see him on rock and soccer. They're like, you know, all these, he's, you know, I'm from Edmonton, you know, who Glenn Sather is, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, he basically just sat me down and he, he it, it was like, Hey, uh, yeah, we're kind of thinking of like signing you. And I'm just sitting on this chair and he's chewing on his cigar and 
I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Like you're a kid, like you don't even know what to do, right? Like, oh cool. Uh, and 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 he was. It was basically like um, there's still more camp to go, so I can. He he kind of basically said like I I can offer you this much, and you can take it. You can continue camp and make more, or you can get nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, I think I have to talk to my agent or something. And just like you didn't know what to say. I remember my agent kind of said like he didn't really tell me much, or maybe he did I don't remember, but it was just kind of like if they tell you anything, but no one thought no one thought this was going to happen. I was just kind of like a nobody going to training camp. Right. So my agent didn't really talk to me about it because he didn't think anything was going to happen. And so say there's like, Oh, your agent told you to tell, he, he basically, Oh, your agent told you to say that. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I think I'm going to play for more and finish camp and like see what I can do. And he's like, Basically, like, great answer. Get the hell out of here. And I landed up making a little more money, like, more money through the rest of training camp. And um, that was just kind of, like, my first, like, that all happened. And I remember just going back to the hotel and, like, calling kind of friends or anyone I could. Like, you'll never guess what's going. Like, I couldn't even, you couldn't even kind of process it, right? And, I mean... It, it was it was New York, you know, like it's yeah. not like you were just in one of these little markets and you were mm-hmm. you were just thrown right into the fire. And um, I mean, probably not the best organization to go to. Like I said, back in the day, they had so many so many players, you know, they flooded the systems. But, you know, it was what it was. And, you know, you got a contract out of it. You got experience. And, you know, it was kind of the, the beginning of your your whole pro career. So, I mean you got to be thankful in, in kind of whatever sense it, it, it went. So after, I don't know, a, a number of years that you were uh, bouncing between the ECHL and AHL, you decide to, I think it was in 2006, 2007, you decide to head overseas for the first time in your career. And I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rory, but I, I believe you chose uh, Sweden as the first country that you played in that was in North America. So what was the chain of events leading up to that? And then the transition from, you know, kind of tough North American hockey to, I assume, more finesse hockey. And in Sweden, is it also, too, I know in Europe, some of the countries and leagues have much bigger ice. So uh, yeah. what was your experience and what was that transition? Well, yeah, it, it was a, it was a crazy kind of – the my my Ranger contract was up and – um, someone, an agent just had called me from Europe and said, Hey, this team in Sweden wants you. And again, like I said, back in the day, you just heard like, Oh, you go to, you know, if you're an import in Europe, you're the man and you just get a play a ton and everything's great and blah, blah, blah. So, okay, cool. It was good money. Um, and like I said, you know, I had, I had the two way contract. So you were used to making good money. So you, you got a kind of taste for that at an early age. So you didn't know kind of, like I said, it, it's good, but it's bad when you don't get it, right? If right. you don't use it to kind of push you to kind of get it back. So um, 
you know, you go from making pretty good money to all of a sudden 700 bucks a week or something, you're thinking, Oh, I, like, I can't live off that. Yeah. So you kind of think, Oh, Europe, you know, it'll be cool. So I went there and, um, the coach just didn't like me and the other guy, like instantly you could just tell. And I'll never forget which, which was hard. Cause you know, it was, like I said, it was the first time you were over there. No iPhones, no stuff like this. Like I had a little Nokia flip phone that was 40 cents a text message or something, you know? So you couldn't just like contact people or like get help or you, you were just so kind of off alone. And, um, I remember after we shook his hand, me and my, my buddy, uh, Lou Dickinson was his name. We, we landed up playing later on together, but, um, I looked at him and I remember just going like, oh, well, we're not going to last here too long. <laughs> like I remember, I remember saying that to him and I, so I was there for a while, but like barely played. It was just, it was just, it wasn't good. I mean, there was some good stuff with it. I mean, met a lot of good guys. The teammates were great. They actually, they were, they were the guys that were like going to him, like, Hey, let this guy play. He can help us. You know, like they were, they were really good guys. They treated me well, but so then I landed up signing in, in Binghamton and that's why well, I went back to the East coast in Cincinnati. And then I, I did real well there. So then I signed and, and played the rest of the year in Binghamton. So that it turned out to be a great year. You know, you went from not playing to playing in the American league. So that was like a great year for me. Um, especially how it started. And then, uh, so Ron Lowe, he was kind of my guy in New York and he was in Ottawa and then they kind of cleaned house that year. So I never re-signed. And then I signed with like, San Jose three-way and I landed up in Phoenix and it, it was, it was, it was bad. Like I didn't, I wasn't, it, it just wasn't a good, you know, the whole thing wasn't good playing Worcester was the call-up team. You know, you couldn't be further away from Worcester and Phoenix. Um, and I, I, a team in Germany wrote me, uh, a guy wrote me on Facebook actually, and, uh, and it, it was funny too, because I, uh, I remember I was walking home from the grocery store. I had like insufficient funds on like my Phoenix card or something stupid. And I, I remember like having to use my visa. And I, I'll, I'll never forget. I remember walking home with groceries and I called my dad. And I was just like, like I said, you know, you, you're used to doing, not worrying about your grocery bill. Yeah. And I'm like, dad, this, I, I this is I can't live like this. You know, you're playing 72 games for Peter. Like I was just like, this is, this is rough, you know? Yeah. And so I got home and that night I had a message on Facebook. So I remember calling my agent, just, just saying like, Hey, just, just scratch that deal. And I mean, they're not going to use me much, whatever anyway. So I landed up going to that team and I stayed there for a couple of years. And, and then I actually stayed in Germany for, for like five, five years. And, and then just kind of stayed over in Europe for that time. And then made my way back when I was older and, um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I went like, that's the thing. There's so many like underlying stories, you know, about just like the mental side of things, you know, like, look, just talking about it, thinking like how many roller coasters you go through. And uh, like Orlando was another team when I came back that kind of re rejuvenated my love for, for playing and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it was a long road, but like I said, just so many things, you know, the behind the scenes stuff that you kind of went through. So not to get into financial information, pay or anything, but just as a professional who is, you know, now making money, you're, you got to take care of yourself, family, whatever it may be, you know, going overseas, we've heard from other guests too, that it pays a lot better and stuff. Sometimes whenever you're, I can imagine probably when you're in the East coast league, AHL, you know, obviously that goal is to climb up to go to the NHL. Is it tough to move overseas to maybe, maybe it's for the money, maybe it's not, but to get paid better, but maybe realizing, you know, you're not part of the North American hockey, the circuit over there to where, you know, you may not have that straight up shot to the NHL or is it at that point that you're like, I need to just make better money and still be able to play. What's kind of going through your head at this time as, as a professional, and especially as a young man having to pay for everything? Yeah. I mean, no, it's good. You know, good question. It's, you know, obviously to Europe, you go there, right. They give you your apartment and car and you're, you're making euros. So back in the day, I mean, when the exchange was good, but it was the same, it was the same too in the States, right? Like when you brought your money to Canada, it was great. Same with the Euro. Um, you didn't get taxed, things like that. But at the same time, uh, you were always rolling the dice when you went to Europe. There's, there's still a lot of money on the table that, uh, you know, I could get right that you won't get, you know, that you should get, but you won't get, um, I mean, there, there, there's so much, so much stories. And again, that's the hard thing, right? Like you're expected to handle yourself professionally and they, you know, you're supposed to do everything perfectly. And you're like, I've got paid for three months. And I'm supposed to be just smiling and happy and killing myself every night for you. And I don't know if I'm going to get paid. And so, you know, that was the thing too. Europe, you're always kind of rolling the dice, at least in North America, you knew you were going to get your, your money and it was all, you know, by the books and, and whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there, there gets to a point where, I mean, it's not like you necessarily think about it. You do now, but you're not like, well, they're done with me. I'm out of here. You're just kind of like, uh, all right, well, I, I don't have a contract in North America. So I guess it's time to go to Europe. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, if you do well, great. You know, if you don't, you're done there real quick too. That's the thing. Like, you know, people don't realize that, you know, it's very limited the number of jobs because imports. And so, you know, you got to perform, but you're also in another world. So you're trying to have fun. You're trying to enjoy it. You got all the pressure on you. Like I said, you know, if you're doing great, they love you. You're a king. If, if you're not, they don't like you. And, you know, you, you have one bad weekend, you might get another weekend to redeem yourself. You know, a lot of times they're, they're, the room for error is a lot smaller. Um, but 
I loved it. Like I loved the big ice. I loved the fans. I loved, I loved just being the guy, the people, you, you know, they, they love you at home and on the road, they hate you. Or just, just that energy of, of playing that role. And, you know, the, like I said, the, the fans met so many amazing people and like, just the hockey, like I said, it was just so fun. You know, there was, you have 3000 people in your rink and it's louder than any 20,000 people stadium. You know, you're in this barn and it's like, you're, you're there two hours before the game and you're walking to the rink and people are drumming and crushing beers and, you know, the SWAT teams outside cause it's a derby night and you're like, it was awesome. You know, like people are in the crowd. Like I said, it's two hours before you can hear the drums and, uh, it was, it was just such an amazing experience. So you kind of just get caught up in it. You're almost like it, like I said, if you like it, you do it. If you don't, you're done with it because it is a very difficult lifestyle for sure. Especially like I said, when I first went, like I didn't even have internet in my apartment. So I mean, think of people now, right? I mean, I'm in Bangkok right now. We just called each other. We're chatting. Like, it's not that bad being away from people. Like, back then, like, I was away. Like, I remember buying, like, a coloring book to keep myself busy. And (laughs) just stupid, just stupid stuff sometimes, right? Because you were so, like, you know, you're alone. All the outlets are different. All the things are, like, everything's just a challenge, you know? So, um, yeah, it was... uh, I, I was cool with it, but like I said, a lot of a lot of people weren't. And to your other point, you know, that was kind of the hard thing too, you know, because when you do go, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Right. Like, oh, you know, he's gone. So on to the next guy, right? And then, like I said, maybe later on when you have some value or different value, then you're needed again, like myself in Orlando, like a veteran defenseman and uh, you know I came in for a certain role and because everything went so well and who I played with and everything I became you know it went better than they expected so it was like I said it was a really good thing for everybody but again it was more of a a older older player role you know back then it's like your role was to come in there and just be the man and you know, for me, it was like kind of that, that's why I played the way I played or had that little bit of swag or a chip on your shoulder, because it was just a way to kind of separate, separate yourself over there. And, um, like I said, when the people embraced it, 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 it is, it was such a cool experience. It was such a fun place to play. You, um, you played, uh, some time in the, uh, UK, elite league and you played with uh dundee and and um and coventry yeah, and yeah. actually we just had a assistant coach uh kino from coventry uh on our podcast last week and um what was your experience there you did quite well in dundee i think you guys won one of those i get the whole championship thing andrew but the, i know there's like different cups and the playoffs and blah 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 but you you did real well yeah. in dundee so what were your experiences and knowing, of course, that uh, like Coventry follows our podcast. So 
Yeah. If, if you didn't have a positive experience, come up with one. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I honestly, I love that league like so much. I, Dundee was amazing. The fans were amazing. It was one of like my best years. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, individually, it went, I did well. The team, my teammates were great. I played with so many really good players that year. Um, guys that went on to, to do good things. And, uh, you know, we all, we all did well based on helping each other out that year. And, and that's why we won that. And, uh, Coventry, I went there and, uh, I actually left halfway through the year and it's my biggest regret every day. I, I still think about it, but I had, I was going through some stuff um, and it was just kind of like just a kind of a rash decision at the time. And um, I I wasn't really think I, I was thinking of it as more of a break and like, Oh, you'll come back or something, but you know, you kind of didn't realize the, you know, the damage it does or something like that. Just kind of a, like I said, more of a regret on my end, but um because it was, like I said, it was such a great league and, you know, Coventry that year, they, they won and um, so many awesome guys on that team too. So uh, look, like looking back, I always wish um, I, I always, I always laugh. I'm like, I feel if I would have done things differently, um, like again, if I would have thought about, okay, maybe I'll set up shop here, you know, kind of think of, think of it that way. Like, okay, I'm going to finish my career here or in this league. I wasn't really thinking of it like that, um, which I wish I would have. Uh, and that would have been like a league. I, like in my brain, I'm, I'm like, I'd still be playing there to this day if, if I would have done that, you know, cause I, I really did love playing there. Um, it, it, it was a fun league, but again, you know, there's the financial side of that too. You know, you're, especially with the world and everything that's happened the past two, three years, you know, like I think even the COVID they shut down the one season. Right. So, yeah. you know, I I'm sitting here. Sometimes you're reflecting again, it's easy to be like, I'd still be playing, but then, you know, you would have been a part of that year too, where there's no jobs. And if you're older, so I, I, like I said, you know, I have some regrets with that, but at the same time, like that was a, that was a great league. And um, I, I always give that, that league a lot of praise. It was a, it was a great, it was a great place. Uh, it was an intense place. I mean, those fans, uh, especially on, on social media, they're, they're, uh, they're pretty intense. They don't, they don't mind going for the jugular. Um, but yeah, it, 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 was, it was a fun league, a lot, of, a lot of really good experiences. So you are in, like you mentioned, you're in, you're in Thailand right now and you're uh, coaching, <clears throat> is it the under 20, the national team there? Uh, I actually, so I coached, I coached uh, the men's national team um, and I did the U20 uh, not recently when I first got here and I do a lot of like private skills coaching and um, 
I worked for this one guy specifically, like his family. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. Um, I, it, it's, there's so much to it. I'll, I'll tell you guys sometimes off air cause it'll, it'll take so long. Cause it, it's just such like a unique like situation, you know, you can't even explain it almost like in, in short, there's not like a short version that would kind of even make too much sense, but, um, you know, anytime, even you know, Oh, Thailand, I'm in Thailand. Like, oh, you know, they have hockey in Thailand. Like no one expects it. Right. But obviously it's, uh, it's a, yeah, definitely a unique sport here, but, um, yeah, I coach, I coach that team. So I've been doing that. And then, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll play in these tournaments. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just, I do kind of everything, right. You're kind of mentored to the kids and teaching and trying and trying to get them to understand like the actual game itself. And, you know, just kind of just your presence being there around the rink and, you know, just bringing, bringing that, trying to bring a professional attitude and, you know, help the kids and, you know, your, your training and just, you know, just staying in, in shape and doing stuff, just trying to get the culture to, to kind of see, um, you know, and, and again, it's like, they're, it's a very difficult job though, because they, they want you here for your, what you offer, but at the same time, they do things their way. Yeah. So, um, it's you, when, when you first come to Thailand, you definitely, after about eight months, you, you really change how you are as a person and how you approach things. And if you don't, you won't last that seven months, I guess you could say. So you really have to, um, I mean, like anywhere, but, you know, especially in, Asian countries or, you know, you're just, you're sitting there and like, even the national team, we would have like two hour meetings and not, not one word in English. Oh, man. <laughs> and I, I would just sit there for two hours and the odd time you would just hear, Oh, Loli, Loli. Uh, okay. That was my name. Um, but that's, wow. so it's, you know, just like I said, it's a, it's a unique job and, and, uh, you're, you're put in a lot of different, different situations, but it's kind of always changing, right? Like they can be like, Hey, I want you to coach the U20 next tournament. And you're like, okay, yeah. I want you to coach these five kids power skating or something. Okay. So you kind of, but they just built, my boss just built two brand new rinks here. So they're the first self-standing rinks in Thailand because usually the rinks are like inside shopping malls. Yeah. So these are beautiful rinks, brand new. He just built them. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's. They want it to be something. Obviously, it's a long, long, long way to go from from the 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 big countries. You know, we actually uh, got a silver medal in South Africa um with covid too they didn't play for like two years we had like two months of training we went into south africa the host team and uh, we beat them in the final game 
Um, and I mean, their team definitely should have been, you know, they were men. We had like little kids, like under 20 kids. And our guys, yeah, they did an amazing job. I was proud of them. They did a great, great job. And uh, it was actually funny because the coach of South Africa, Bjorn Kinding was his name. He was my coach. He coached. So I was in a hockey academy when I was 16 years old in Edmonton. And he, was, he coached me in that academy. Wow. wow. So I was 16. He, was, he coached me. And then last, yeah, like six months ago, I just coached against him in uh in south africa so that was that was kind of that was a fun experience we're going to uh go to our lightning round questions and this is our favorite part we're going to ask a question short question you can either just give us a name or if you've got a, a short story you can add to it uh i guess it depends on the question and it's going to put you on the spot a little bit so um here you go we'll get the brain going okay out of all the leagues you played for, who had the craziest fan base? Oof. Um, Weissfosser in Germany, East Germany, Weissfosser. They were, uh, they were wild. They were a wild crew. That town, that's all they had was our team. And, and uh, yeah, they let, they let you know. That was a that was a wild crowd. Favorite state or country to live in as a young hockey pro? Oh. Favorite state or country? To live in while you were playing professional uh, hockey. Though. Charlotte was awesome. Okay. My pro days. That was just like I said, that was early on, right? That was the first of everything. So it, you know, always has kind of a special place too, because like I said, that was kind of your first taste of, of pro hockey. You get two names. Who is uh, your favorite uh, defensive pairing partner? I'll, we'll give you two names. If I could pick any two defensemen? No, that, that you played with. Who, who are you? Oh, that I played with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll say who's your favorite uh, you know, partner on D, but we'll, we'll give you two names because usually everybody okay. says – Come on, I can't pick one. Yeah. Okay, I got uh, Sam Sam McCluskey was his name in Dundee in the EIHL. He was always uh, one of my favorite. He was awesome. We we got along great and we had good relationships. So carried over on the ice. He was a good. He was a great one. And um, if I go way back. In Camrose Junior A, uh, Eric Lodge. Um, he he's now the coaches in Red Deer for the Rebels. Actually, um, he was like an older guy. He was like a twenty-year-old guy, and I was a rookie. And they paired me up with him, and I played with him all the way to the championship. And he he was just such an awesome guy. He helped me so much at at a young age. Which arena? And this could go back, I guess, to juniors, but which arena had the worst locker rooms? Yeah, and you'll have to describe oh. it. And boy, boy, have we heard stories from the guys that have played like you all over the world. So yeah. let's see what you got. The worst locker room, like in the world? Yeah. Like Danbury Trashers type locker room. Oh, man. Um, wow. There, 
honestly, in in Europe, some of those I, I couldn't even remember every team place, but I remember I think my the first that team I told you when I left Phoenix and I went, my first game with them, we pulled up to a rink and it was just like a compound in the middle of a field, just like a just like a giant tent over this building almost, middle of winter. And yeah, it was just like it wasn't even a you know, had a couple hooks in the locker room, freezing cold. Just so like there were so many places like that you'd play, you know, just ice water. Uh, not. I hope Coventry got their showers fixed because that was always an issue. Ice cold <laughs> yeah. showers every day. Um, but yeah, there, you know, there's so many places, especially like I said, in those countries where, you know, they just it's just another rank or yeah. yeah. Who is your favorite goaltender to uh, play with? Favorite goaltender. Um, I know I'm going to think of all this stuff after this, of course. Yeah. Um, man, I are we pro or junior? Uh, we can go either. Yeah, I, man, I played with so many. I can't even. I can't even pick one. <laughs> one goalie out. I remember, uh, Jeff glass, Kelly guard. I spent some time with them in Charlotte. They, they turned out they had, they had really good careers for themselves. Um, yeah. You know, Cam Ward in, in red deer last year, he was another good one, but yeah, I mean, I played with a lot of, a lot of really good goaltenders actually. So, um, I have Dan Blackburn back in the day, before all his shoulder stuff. He was, he was a good friend too. He was a good guy. And yeah, it was too bad. Never got to see what, what would have became of him. Um, I, was, I was there with him with those, those two blockers. You guys remember those when he had that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was with him. So through that whole, I was there when he got hurt. I was at that camp in Calgary. And so that, that was an interesting goalie. There, there, there's a good answer. That was an interesting goalie to play with through that time. Was there a rat in your career? Who was the guy that just annoyed you on the ice, always tried to find you, poke and prod you, hit you up against the wall? Who was, who was the rat? Maybe even somebody that just refused to fight you but would just get under your skin. Oh, man, there were, there were so many back then. I think every team had like eight of them. Um, <laughs> Are they mostly small guys? Dude, it, 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 it was nonstop. I remember, like, like I said, it, it's hard to even pick them out. I remember, I remember just playing against some of the guys, though. It was just like, I remember playing against a like Cam Jansen or, oh, you know, getting called up and coach is mad because you didn't finish your hit on him. And you're like, Ugh. Guy, guys in the NHL you. don't want to go near that guy. I don't want to go near that guy. Um, you know, but yeah, there was, that's the thing. Like, you know, I kind of touched on earlier, like, you know, third, fourth line guys, but even back then, like goal scorers were pests, you know, like everyone just had that in them because you had to. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was just endless, especially, 
especially in the minors, um, that, that was the thing, right? It was for the, especially the American league, nobody was ever really kind of switched off because you were right there. You know, that next step was right there. So like, I, you almost, you, you almost didn't know how to prepare for that. Right. Because like, like I said, it was based on what you said with those pests, there were so many of them. It was almost hard to focus sometimes on just your own game because it was just like, those guys were just coming at you every night, every shift. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, there, I mean, the, that list would be way too long. What is the most, the funniest or the most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or a warm up? Um, I don't know if I've had too many embarrassing. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. So all that bad luck that followed you and, and nothing on the ice. That's nice. Yeah, man. I, I mean, nothing too like embarrassing, you know? Yeah. Like stupid things happen here and there, but nothing like that. You were just like, Oh my God, get me off the ice. Um, yeah. Yeah, there nothing, nothing crazy. I, I guess I was lucky with that. So, last question, and I know it's a bit broad, Rory, but uh, just the first thing that pops in your head whenever I say your favorite hockey memory during your pro career or even coaching career now thus far. Um. Yeah, I mean, if I just put it all into one, like you know, it's there's there's not something you just kind of like live off that one moment you know it was just like like the whole journey um you know the championships and i won in romania was was amazing uh you know the eihl there uh you know signing with new york uh cameras red deer going to the final you know just stuff but there there were just so many good things along the way um in general so there, there, there wasn't just one, one major moment. It was just, you know, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, hopefully you get a bunch of fortunate moments a lot along the journey. And, you know, those are the things that kind of stick with you. Yeah. Well, this is uh, going to be interesting to follow your coaching career here because your journey continues. I mean, you're in Bangkok and what's, what's going to be next. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun, man. I think that we've had on, this is episode 80 something. And um, we've had a lot of guys that have traveled, played a lot of leagues, but I think you've done the most traveling as far as around the world. And uh, that's just cool. You've been able to do it through hockey, your, your livelihood, your profession. So uh, we want to thank you officially. We'll uh, say goodbye, Ocker, but officially we can't thank you enough for joining us. And especially as a 12 hour delay, it's like almost in the middle of the night over there for Rory. But yeah. We want to thank you for joining us today, man. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Rory. Hey. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for having me guys. Great talking to you. Great guy. Yeah. Crazy stories. Crazy, crazy. Imagine being trapped in any country that you're not familiar with during COVID or traveling as much as he did to play professionally. I mean, he had quite the career and we've had a lot of people on that, you know, like David Ling, you know, we've had guys yeah. like that, that have done 
something something like this until they're damn near 40. I think David Lean's still playing. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it's just pretty crazy because that is a tough life to live, truly. It, it is tough, uh, but uh, look at all of the experience that he has right. and has continued to have. I mean, he's literally traveled the world based on hockey. Right. And, uh, you know, that's pretty darn cool. And uh, Naughty, we didn't really get to talk too much about uh, his playing details, but not the stay-at-home defenseman. This guy can score goals, create points. Uh, he was really lighting it up at the... Uh, uh, the elite league over in the UK yeah. where they, I think they normally like to have more stay at home defensemen. He was, you know, like 30 assists, five or six goals, and they only have what 52 games a season. Right. So he, 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 he can do it all. Like you said, he's a player or was a player that is geared towards today's hockey. Right. Cause remember he started in 2003, I think his right. pro career, but anyway, we won't uh, make this episode any longer. We want to thank everyone and uh, we will catch you again in another week. We've got more guests coming up yep. and uh, we'll release them when we get to release them. Hopefully once a week. We appreciate everybody. Episode 85. Have a good one. <laughs>